Welcome, 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 <clears throat> welcome back to the Bunch Podcast. Bunch the Podcast, recording here live from downtown Great Barrington. We are here with our friend Matthew Rebner. Matt, thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So glad, man. This is so exciting. Let me top you off here. Let no, me please. top you off here, please. Don't top me off too much, though. Okay, just a little bit. A little worse than a drunken podcast, guys. Yeah, you never know. Yeah. That might be your winning solution. So, Matt, welcome, man. Uh, Thank you. Well, where we'd like to start is mm. please just you know tell us who you are, what's your rig, what's your gig, what gets you on, what gets you off. Hmm, that's uh, a lot. And then we'll start, we'll start digging into uh, some um, other things from there. Well, I'm Matt Rubiner. Awesome. I am the proprietor of uh, Rubiner's Cheesemongers in Great Barrington, mm-hmm. just up the road, and, uh, um, and of the um, uh, formerly open, soon to be open again, Ruby's Coffee and Sandwiches behind the shop. That's, Damn, you ruined my joke. I was going to interrupt oh shit, you and be, really? like, be like, are you opening? <laughs> <laughs> He's <still saying>. okay. <laughs> I'll keep going. And you'll get, you'll get my standard line, eventually. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, yeah, that's me. What else do you need to know? Uh, where you come from? I am from uh, suburban Detroit, Michigan. Right. Yeah. Michigan family for a few generations. Um, grew up there. Went to the University of Michigan, not far from my home. And, and uh, uh, is this where I tell my life story? I mean, a little bit. Yeah, right. sure. So, I want to hear, hear it. Um, so in a nutshell, and I'll, and I'll sound all sketchy and shady, and, and you'll think this is because I can't divulge classified information, <laughs> but it's simply because my career before cheese was just exceedingly uninteresting and dull. So, but I, I uh, went to college. I studied uh, Japanese. I studied like military history. I don't know why I get into that. And uh, studied in Japan for a few years. Went back to Japan um, and worked within this government program where I just kind of went over there and, and provided evidence to the Japanese public that they were making efforts to internationalize by hiring, uh, you know, guys like me. And uh, and I came back and I, I, I followed my first love of, uh, of military policy analysis a, a love I'd had since childhood mm. um, and uh, started working for a defense contractor in, um, outside of D.C. Uh, studying Japanese and Chinese military uh, issues, mostly technology issues, but otherwise also broader strategic things. And, and I did that for a few years and then I moved, got a job up at MIT doing exactly the same thing, doing research on that stuff. Um, and then at some point, just two years into two years into MIT, it was just like, you know, this is, I don't know where I'm going to be in the future. I don't know. I've gone through all of my MIT starter friends. No, you know, no offense to MIT, but I was like, yeah. right, I've, I've worked through the crowd and I'm going to, I'm just going to go out and, and, you know, I, I, I was interested in food. I'm like genetically interested in food. I think my father, my grandfather on my mother's side was in the food business, had supermarkets. Um, and he was a very, um, uh, when I was a little kid, just, just taught the, you know, the, the aesthetics of food and the value of, of quality and food. And, and uh, so that was kind of latent in me. My mother claims that, that uh, when I was a child, I declared at some point that I was going to open a cheese shop when I grew up. 
you know, she would have saved me so much hassle. On a, in a, <laughs> <laughs> she just reminded me of that at some point early in my career. Hey, Matt, <laughs> Merry Christmas, just so you know. <laughs> You're 30. <laughs> so, um, and um, I started hanging out in restaurants in Boston, like total young douche. Like just, I would doll myself up, tie, maybe bow tie um, by myself, you know, um, uh, I'd go to a restaurant, I'd have the most pretentious book I can find and a language <laughs> I probably didn't read, probably upside down, um, order a fancy bottle of wine that I could barely afford and a bunch of food. And eventually people just, they look at you and like, who's that guy over there? You know, he yeah. keeps coming in here and you know, he's either a psychopath yeah. or he's a very charming, uh, you know, super sophisticated, super sophisticated young man. Um, and eventually, you know, I, I met chefs and I met wine importers and sommeliers and and uh cheese people and then um and then as my boredom in my other career maybe not boredom but just kind of you know this this crossroads of really not knowing how to proceed um without going back to graduate school which i don't if you ever want to if you ever think you're going to get a phd i don't know if that's something you've considered not yet um go work in a phd program like mit's and see just the misery these kids are going through and just like you know what? I'm just not that interested in anything in the world that's legal that I would <laughs> devote that kind of inquiry into and get a PhD so I was like all right well that's out I'm not going to join the military at this point you know um and uh um you know it's getting a little long in the tooth to be joining up yep. you know which um and um so I I said Fuck it, I'm going into the food business. These guys are just living this a life that seemed awesome. Yeah. Kind of is awesome. You know, they're they're traveling to the most beautiful places left in the industrial world and they're eating those wonderful foods and dealing with the most passionate, wonderful people. It's like, how could this be, you know, how could this be anything but spectacular? So I got uh I uh came back from a trip to Italy with some friends where I was just like, that's it, changing careers, came back, announced you know, that I'm moving on, though I still had like eight months left on an Air Force contract to do this research. So I was like, had a chill job and I started, um, God, I've forgotten a lot of this. I, I started selling wildly illegally. There was a, there, I don't know if you recall, but in the, in the, in the early nineties, there was a champagne glut and the champagne prices were dropping. And a friend of mine and I were able to get a hold of many dozens of cases of Tattinger Brut La Française, you know, mm. um, and I sold it like for like 15 bucks a bottle out of my office at MIT. Oh, nice. You know, and I always joke that my, because uh, I got severely reprimanded several times. <laughs> I had an olive oil business out of the office as well. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the department chair comes in and he's like, you know, look, there's been talk that you're selling alcohol <laughs> out of your office here at, you know, building E60, whatever, you know, and. Oh and uh, um, and uh, you really got to stop it, you know. He says as he's walking out with a case on his shoulder. <laughs> um, so I did that for a while, and then I just I bit just bailed, and I took a I, I did a little research. You know, where where do I want to go? Do I want to where can I go that has this? What 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 aspect of the food business um, will allow me to? Well, that what can I approach in the same way I approach this like academic research, like multidisciplinary, like how what. You know, and wine was very much like that. You know, just a just a world of information that you can look at from any angle. Um, 
you know, whether it's, you know, even, even in, you know, um, in cheese, you know, well, let me back up. So I looked at wine, I looked at what was maybe going to work for this caviar importer, you know, and then I finally just took a $6 an hour job at Formaggio Kitchen on Huron Avenue in West Cambridge. And it was like perfect. You know, I was like, just began to learn about cheese and it was just clear, you know, the moment I picked up my first book or started tasting cheese that this was a lifelong inquiry that I will go to my grave only having scratched the surface of this. And, you know, and, and you know, the, the um, everything I loved, I could look at this from a historical perspective. I could mm -hmm. look at it from a biological perspective. I could look at it from a, um, uh, even a military historical perspective. You know, I once made this thing where I overlaid, God, I was an outrageous nerd, but overlaid a map of, um, I'm not even sure what you would call it, Turkish or Ottoman or Saracen, you know, invasion of France. Yeah. And how that coincided with goat dairying, like in the Loire Valley, because there was like a connection, you know. Uh -huh. the, you know, goats weren't typical of Europe. They're a Middle Eastern, you know, uh, introduction into into Europe and you could you could this is this a super geeky sort of podcast I'm on it's no, this geeky is, as because, it. so awesome <laughs> so um and I and I realized that you know in, the, in these wine. times there was a you know these military campaigns they took for a long time you know you and you, you bring your family you start a life yeah. and then when you retreat you know not everybody goes home they they've settled they've they found a wife and and uh and goat daring stayed um, and I noticed that, you know, battles that took place had the same names as all these whimsically shaped little sheds from the Loire Valley. And I noticed that if you look at the Loire Valley, it, um, there or the Loire River, there was no significance, and to this day, no significant goat daring above that line. And, you know, and it kind of coincides with where the, you know, the, the, um, the Turkish, it wasn't Turkey then, but um, invaders the were like, you know, repel. It's like, it's like, this is for me. And I can just, everything I want to learn about, I can do through the, I don't know, prism's the right word, maybe lens is a better word of, uh, of, uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, is that what, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's so interesting because I feel like that happens a lot that if you have that lens mm -hmm. to be able to decipher it, like the proof is always in the pudding. It's it's always in the history. Like you can follow it and figure out why things happened the way they did, and and cuisine, especially, and cheese is part of cuisine, even though we think of it as some holistic drug that we just keep going back to. But uh, it, it is cuisine, um, and and we find it all the time. Of like we didn't see this food group here until right. this happened, yeah. and it just tells the story of of why things are. And and in today's world. Yeah. It, we don't we don't get as much of that yeah. anymore because it's, it's all out there. Like you can make you can make goat cheese chef wherever yeah. you want now yeah. because it is. Yeah. But but back then, showing that path and really being able to define it, is, right? Is well, such you know a exactly. Cool like the one thing that you know um, when I'm getting super geekish about cheese, you know, I always felt that like a seasoned cheesemonger, like somebody who's worked with cheese for a long time, understands cheese, understands how cheese is made. Um, that you can look at a cheese, and I'm not going to give you tons of examples here because, you know, I'll screw it all up and sound like an idiot. But the, uh, um, you can look at a cheese and you can make some, um, some uh, you can kind of theorize about why that cheese developed the way it did. Mm -hmm. You know, if it's, a, if it's a young 
goat cheese, say, from France. You know, you, you look at that cheese and you, and if you know history, you know why there are goats there. Like, um, but you also see this small, very young cheese that lives and dies in just a few weeks. And you wonder, well, why would they make that cheese here, but up in the mountains make these massive wheels of, you know, 200, 300 pound wheels of Emmentaler that are meant to last for years? You know, why? It's because, you know, you're in a hot place. This is long before refrigeration. These are peasants who maybe had a few animals and could make just enough cheese, mm-hmm. you know, for that. And, you know, eventually it finds its markets. And then in this gourmet world we live in, eventually will find its way to, you know, you know foreign play. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, um, but, uh, so there's just like this, you, I look at a cheese and, and I see, I see history, you know, and I, um, I see science and I see, you know, um, yeah, it's, it's just, it's, and it's to this day, you know, I crack open a wheel of cheese and it's, it's exactly the same kind of thrill. I mean, people see me just kind of opening a cheese and just swooning over it for a second, ignoring everything. Yeah. It's funny you it's say that. Like, uh, that. That reminds me of a, of a person who used to be one of your employees. Oh, no. One of the 400 <laughs> employees that I've had. The Yasmin Northrup, I think she worked oh, yeah. for for a long time. Yeah. Uh, she worked uh, with me at a restaurant that I worked at before. Yeah. And Yasmin has a story that uh, in one glorious afternoon uh, at Ruby's, uh, she made her way over to the cheese shop. And, um, and there you were, just kind of like looking into the, you know, the horizon <laughs> and... You were just there Shit, for quite some true. time. I was just making it up. <laughs> just for, for quite some time, you know, she was doing whatever she was doing. It took her like a few minutes to get back. And she was just like really perplexed about you just, you know, why, what, what is going through his mind? So she went over, uh, she says she went over to you and just asked her, hey, uh, hey Matt, what are, you, what are you thinking about? And you just looked and, jeez. <laughs> 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 Which pretty much exemplifies, <laughs> illustrates awesome. everything that you're talking about in terms yeah, of your passion. Awesome. Yeah, I do tend to swoon over cheese. So cool. You know, I was just telling somebody the other day, we had a couple of flies in the restaurant. I'm like, hey, team, can we get, can we get these flies out of here? But my grandfather was a entomologist. Oh, yeah. And so we collected... Wait, is that words or bugs? Bugs. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we collected flies as kids in little vials and I would ship them to him back in Chicago. Yeah. He was, he was a professor of entomology at the university of Illinois. Mm-hmm. Um, but he started a new field of forensic entomology. Oh my God. So he solved would help solve murders based off oh of analyzing God. fly larvae because the first, right. the, the best way to count how long it's been is from flies because they're there immediately oh, at the side of the body. And to Glamorous. the eye, you can't see you can't see in it, but to yeah. him, he could he could open it up and go into this matrix of what happened here yeah. based off of where, yeah. how big, what, which which kinds, day, night, was it wet? I mean he could figure it all out just from oh, just from wild. looking under a microscope. So su- super cool. You have yeah. <laughs> <laughs> look in the mirror, my man. <laughs> So, uh, okay, so starting, it's it's making sense, but you're starting to formulate this this cheese endeavor. Mm -hmm. Um, I love that you mentioned Formaggio's because one of Emily's closest friends that comes out here all the time, and anytime she's here, she stops at you first and buys a 
excessive amount of cheese for Excellent. her and I Love to eat. Uh, but there are some times that she comes with a bag, a refrigerator Laden. bag from, from, from yeah. Formaggio's. And so I've heard it. I've never yeah. been there. But. Yeah. So what, what, what takes you from interest in cheese to being Matt Rubiner of Rubiner's? Hmm. So, you know, I went to, I took this job at Formaggio. It was a, you know, it was kind of an arranged marriage sort of thing. I really wanted to go in the food business. My friends, um, and if you know the chef, you know, great old school Boston, not that old school, but uh, Barbara Lynch, mm-hmm. she, she was the chef at a place called Rocco's, which is one of Boston's great restaurants, long gone. Um, and the, the sommelier was a woman named Kat Saliri, you know, they're just absolute legend uh, in Boston. Um, and they were having a wine dinner. I don't remember who the, it was a winemaker dinner. I don't remember who the winemaker is. And they invited the owner of Formaggio, they were close with him. Um, and sat me next to him because cheese was one of the possible avenues into the food business. I knew I wasn't going to be a chef. I just, I just, it just ain't in me, you know? Um, and so, and I just chatted with the guy and then I went in with like an overly, like, you know, most people when they apply for a cheese shop, they fill out an application. I came in with like a CV, you know, (laughs) multiple pages and so forth and a, and a lovely, um, uh, cover letter and you know and and so he's like yeah I'll hire you six bucks an hour you know which was minimum wage then and uh, so I got a job at Formaggio and then it just was a time I mean I love to think I had something to do with it but it, it was but it was a time when the food business and food and kind of the general consciousness people was changing you know this is the this is the early 90s um you know, food TV was becoming a thing. Chefs were becoming celebrities. Um, uh, people were traveling. You know, people were um, excited to be eating. just excited about food in a way that people hadn't been before. Um, and you know, with that kind of burgeoning market, always just wanting new stuff, we were like, well, we should try to get all these wild things from Europe and so we started importing our own cheeses which was um, something that few shops there's still very few shops do we don't Um, and uh, bringing in you know you could just do it with absolute impunity back then raw milk this you know these two week old Loire Valley raw milk chefs that you know right now they not only are not allowed they just gun you down you know (laughs) and and their their business took off. I mean, it was it had been there for many years, but um, really began to change in the the sort of products we were able to sell, um, um, and uh, and it just began to boom. And cheese began to boom, and I kind of went along with it, and you know got a little bit known in the business. And you know I was very geekishly studious about cheese. Anyway, there was there for six years. We started importing. We'd, you know, uh, managed the store um, and wrote their catalog. Like, you know, the internet was just becoming a, a thing, you know, a useful thing. And and uh, so I was there for a long time, but, you know, eventually it just got, I don't know if you've ever been in this sort of situation, but, you know, you're in, I was very ambitious in my little world and, you know, you're in a little shop and, uh, you know, you begin to take ownership of things despite the fact that you in fact, have no ownership of anything and, you know, sort of friction at the top. And, you know, my last day there, um, I was there for like six years and, 
And uh, I mean, let's be clear, I was bodily thrown from the premises um, <laughs> while attempting um, to uh, sell um, champagne out of the back door. If, if, you know, I was I was attempting to uh, shove my apron down the the uh, um, the throat of my employer, oh. my soon to be ex employer. <laughs> Right, which didn't go down well at all. I mean, literally, did not go down well did at all. Not go and down uh, well. um, he's a much bigger man than I am. Uh, you but know, a former like so Olympic much. volleyball player, like you know, from Turkey. I know you don't think about you know Turkey and the Olympic volleyball, uh, but I wasn't uh, thinking about big man and volleyball actually. Yeah, but no, so big fella, and uh, yeah. So anyway, I left there. I'm like, all right. Well, then I did some consulting, like in the real sense, not just I'm unemployed and so I'm a consultant. <laughs> no. But I was like uh, consulting with. Uh, um, some shops around the country, place down in Georgia, a few other things, you know, writing cheese signs for Fresh Direct, you know, who hadn't even launched yet. You know, oh, they yeah. were like um, paying me by the word. It was awesome. You know, literally writing, I don't know if anybody from Fresh Direct is listening, but literally writing um, uh, cheese signs and meats like charcuterie signs for Fresh Direct um, was essentially enough to provide the down payment on, you know, my house. It was crazy. You know, when you're getting paid by the word, you know, I can be a verbose motherfucker. So, uh, anyway, oh, sorry. Is this, is this on? Yeah, you're good. You can uh, and, uh, um, and then, you know, I got, I was very involved with slow food. You familiar with slow food? You know? Yeah. And it was I one had, of the names we considered for Cantina. Oh yeah. You'd have been sued. Um, <laughs> uh, the uh, um, and in Boston, I started the you know U.S. slow food had just become a thing, and I started the Boston chapter, which was kind of by default the the uh, um, they don't call them chapter, they call them convivium, convivia, um, and by default that became the Massachusetts, Massachusetts chapter, and we were doing all kinds of events, and one of the things we did was we I was bringing groups of people out here to the Berkshires, where I had never been, but there was stuff going on in the Berkshires, which kind of all fell apart, but there was stuff going on in the Berkshires with the um, uh, resurrection of heritage breed animals, food animals, um, and seed conservancies, um, just wonderful work being done. Um, and so we, we brought people out here to visit some of the farms that were that were, you know, uh, the the places where they were resurrecting, the, you know, literally the genetics of these breeds. And, and this was before you could go in a restaurant and be like, you know, oh, you know, large black, you know, hog chops with, you know, Tamworth bacon and, yeah. you know, Randall lineback, whatever. It's like that that wasn't around. You couldn't do that. In fact, um, I mean, I guess that was later, but we used to, like, there was a farm, maybe it's still there, um, uh, Flying pigs, like in Shushan, New York, you know, pig farm. Anyway, uh, Pegaso. No, no, no. It's like up in in like further upstate than this upstate. Oh, okay. And but we, it was so hard to get these heritage breed um, animals that we were arranging them, and then I was putting them like I would go to the. Eventually, I'm skipping way ahead, but eventually, this heritage breed conservancy bought like a slaughterhouse, made it organic, um, and it was this attempt at complete vertical integration like they would they would uh, um, they would um, develop the genetics mm -hmm. at like these host farms get these animals onto farms either giving them to them or subsidizing it or whatever um, and then guaranteeing them a premium price for the 
produce of these animals, whatever it is, and then taking it to their own slaughterhouse, um, mm-hmm. slaughtering it, and then marketing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and I would go to Stafford Springs, Connecticut, to the slaughterhouse, and I would put like pigs, like pigs, generally split down the middle, you know, all the yep. way back in a bag, yep. just dripping in blood. And, you know, so long because they're, you know, they're they're kind of stretched out. So you got, you know, snout out the right window and feed (laughs) out and then drive it down to the city and go to restaurants like uh, the great uh, um, Savoy, you know, um, uh, and uh, um, Blue Hill, you know, the original Blue Hill and and a place called the Tasting Room, which hasn't existed in a long time. And then like literally pull up my car, open the back and like drag out this half a pig and drop it on the sidewalk and, be, and the young sous chef to be like uh, isn't it like cut up into you know whatever I'm like dude you're the chef I just drove you a pig and I dropped it on the don't sidewalk don't you know this is heritage man <laughs> it's heritage man it's a heritage breed um, and uh, um, uh, where was I? anyway so I was bringing groups of people out here um, and I met there's a guy still there um, Tom Gardner in Richmond who was who was oversaw this heritage breed conservancy and has had and still has this amazing little farm. You know, it's kind of a gentleman's farm, but it's got this, I mean, it did anyway, this just wild animals, just like, I mean, not wild animals, but animals that, you know, the, the, that existed very, few, very, very few places, but you know, Here. guy's backyard in Richmond, Mass. You know? And, uh, and I was like, Hey, can you, uh, um, bring in a group of people out? Can you arrange lunch for us somewhere? And he's like, oh, I'll just go to your friend's, uh, we'll just go to your friend's cafe right next door to my house. Like, I don't know, I don't know anybody out here, let alone people who have a cafe next to your house. But it turned out there were these two women who had the, this cafe in Richmond, you know, the only kind of commercial building in Richmond, you know, if anybody's in Richmond where the post office is. And I think, you know, Jim Gopp's got a, you know, Smokey Chaps has got a thing uh, going on there. And uh, um, that was my store. Well, it became my store. I'm just worst storyteller you, no, you <laughs> must have known I was a horrible storyteller yeah, when you good, me but, but yeah. I, I, I yeah. want you to finish this because yeah. I'm, I'm seeing where this is going so so uh, they and, and so I meet these people and they were caterers in Boston who were customers of mine and, um, and, and what's her name well there were two women Elise Etling and Lauren yeah. Joy Elise yeah I know Elise but from Boston I know her oh no shit and so um, and their chef was Tom Tenuta I don't know if you know Tom but you know is that um, like um uh, Soma Catering. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was theirs. And his wife. Uh, um, oh no, I'm on the air and I can't remember her name. She used to have this amazing taqueria in the Fenway, um, Taqueria El Pelon. It's amazing. Uh, why am I forgetting her name? Do some That's research. Okay. Find we'll, her name. We'll, we'll put her research in. guy. Find yeah, the yeah. name. Yes. Uh, yeah, aren't I supposed to have like a feed of information <laughs> here? <laughs> um, and uh, so we got friendly and they were like, hey, you know, look, we got this cafe downstairs called a mono cafe where we had lunch and I'm like holy shit there's there was this big Tamworth hog roast in the in the case and this and that and it's like how could this be it's like you know I mean I, I don't even know where I am I had no sense of the Berkshires and yeah. the, in Richmond is a particularly sort of remote seeming yeah. part of the Berkshires yeah. um, and eventually they were like hey you want to uh, we're not doing anything with the upstairs that used to be the old Richmond general store you want to open a store there you know um, I was like, sure. So, you know, went back to my wife and said, uh, well, fiance at the time and said, Hey, how'd you like to quit your job 
and we'll leave civilization and we'll move out to the Berkshires and we'll open a cheese shop and partner with these two people I barely know. Yeah. Um, she was like, awesome. So we packed our bags and moved out here, got married, bought a house, um, and opened the Richmond store. Huh. Which was... Prophet, do you know this? This is awesome. You're too young. I had no idea. You're too young. I had no idea. I thought you came in hot just swinging coffees and and, and rank cheese. Um, Meanwhile, it was a disaster. (laughs) 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 I mean, the store was incredibly sweet. But, you know, Richmond, you know, it's not as remote as it seems. It's surrounded by more popular area. But, you know, Richmond has a, I believe, I could be wrong, but has a smaller population now (laughs) than it had, you know, before the revolution, you know. Um, And... Um, I mean, I don't know, but I trust you to know. <laughs> I believe it to be so. Fact checker, can you? Uh, Let's do it. Um, so we opened the store, and the store was great and had a following. But the 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 uh, I won't go into too much detail. But the you know, as partnerships, as can sometimes happen among partners, it just turned to absolute shit. Yep. So we left there after a couple years, um, and there was this old bank building in Great Barrington that was just doing nothing, had been more or less abandoned for for many years. And we knew the landlord through Slow Food, we knew the owner through, through Slow Food, who became uh, um, our landlord. And uh, we moved on down. I mean, I always lived in Great Barrington, but we you know, moved the operation there. And that was in, that was a little over 18 years ago, which blows my mind. 18 years ago. Yeah. And you started with just the cheese shop? Well, no, we knew we were going to open the cafe. We just couldn't get our shit together to open at the same time. So the, 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 the store opened. First. What's that? The cheese shop came first. See, that's so funny because I, I, was, I was a kid mm. prancing around here. Um, but fuck you. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, I was a kid. But like Ruby's was the, the hangout place oh, for the kids. Nice. Like, you know, the, yeah. everybody and my sister's. You know, be like, hey, Josh, can you, like, drive us to Ruby's? Yeah. And I'm like, why do you need to go to Ruby's? And they're like, well, like, everybody's there, so we have to go to Ruby's. And so, like, I didn't uh, even know the cheese shop was a uh, thing. This is before right. I'm in the food. Like, I got cheese at yeah, home. Right. I don't need any more cheese. You know, like, well, what am I going to do? So I, had, I, I, didn't, I didn't even know that the cheese shop was first. I thought that was, like, something that had come yeah. out of the cafe. But it yeah. makes way more sense the other way around. Yeah. You know, we, we opened the cheese shop, and we knew we needed a if not a cafe, some sort of food service component to the business for just the mundane reason of, you know, we need a showcase for the food. We need a way to move perishable things along so we're avoiding waste, yeah. you know, and it was like, well, we need a cafe. And the building we moved into just had that perfect um, setup where we could uh, have both the cheese shop and the cafe. We had to reconfigure it somewhat. Um, and, uh, but we opened the cheese shop on May of, in May of 2004, and they opened the cafe in July of the same year. So we're coming up on 18 years, although it's been closed for two years. So I don't know if we yeah. can call it the 18th anniversary, no, but 16 it, it, plus it two. It is. You know, still it exists. Is. Okay, one more question for you. I've yeah. heard rumors that you have uh, curated cheese programs for Thomas Keller. Mm. Is that true? Um, it is. I mean, I'm not sure if... If Tommy remembers, but uh, <laughs> can we back check? Can we get Thomas Keller on the line right now? You know, that was one of those just don't have his joyous. So I was at Formaggio, um, and there was a there was a um, there may still be um, this wonderful like charitable gala 
Spinazzola or Spinazzola, I don't know how it's pronounced. And chefs from all over the country, all, all the chefs in Boston, but chefs all over the country, and set up their, you know, stations and have this fabulous gala. And, and then one or another restaurant would uh, um, host some of these, these chefs for, you know, for lunch the next day or something. And there was a restaurant in, uh, um, God, I'm so old, um, in Boston called, not Rialto, but this uh, Chris Myers and uh, Michael Schlau, I don't know if you know these names, and um, what was the name of the place? Terrible. Um, anyway, so I hosted this thing, um, and the, the pastry chef was somebody who, he handled the cheese I sold you know, to that restaurant. Well, let me back up a little bit. One of the things that I really thought was gonna be a thing was cheese boards and restaurants, you know, in the same sense as is as, as, as typical and common and historical and wonderful in European restaurants, but didn't really exist beyond some bullshit waxy brie and some whatever on a plate generally served like as an appetizer. And we thought, oh, well, let's, you know, let's really um, um, establish the cheese board in the American table. And at the time, this guy, Max McCallman um, in New York worked at... Uh, um, restaurant called Pichelin. It's not around anymore, is it? Um, and he had this, and he became America's first like met fromager, you know, which I don't think was a designation anybody but himself gave him. But, <laughs> but uh, um, and he, Max, if you're listening, um, he uh, he was doing this wonderful program. We like we can do that to Boston restaurants. So I went around. Oh man, I went around to restaurants like pushing cheese on restaurants, and it's different now. Like I would go to a restaurant. And I, in fact, I had, in fact, Boston Globe wrote an article about this. Call this up, will you? Yeah. Uh, Boston Globe wrote an article. I had this barber coat, you know, like a English, yeah, you yeah. know, um, foppish hunting jacket that yeah. I had. And it had all the pockets where, you know, when you shoot your quail, you stick it here. And you, yeah. so, and I would fill the pockets <laughs> with cheese. And I would go to, it was like my affinage coat, my, uh, my cheese ripening coat. And I would get in a cab or I'd get on the subway, reeking, God, must have been horrible. Um, and I would go to the fanciest restaurants in Boston and I would just be like, and I'd order food and then I would just be, you know, can you send this back to the chef? And it was just this bag of cheese. Invariably, and these were things, we were doing crazy stuff in terms of importing that, just importing anything we wanted, just things that have never been in the country before, some of which are like commonplace now, but had never been in the country. And invariably the chef would come up like oh my god where'd you get these things They're like well i work in a cheese shop in cambridge oh yeah, yeah it's like you should put a cheese board on your menu whatever and so we, eventually we were up to like i mean it was kind of wild but it was like 70 80 restaurants in and around wow. like everybody was doing a cheese board and if you open a restaurant first thing you did was like check in to formaggio and be like let's talk about our cheese yeah board. what are we gonna do you know? for our cheese board anyway so back to this lunch so this the pastry chef at this restaurant that i can't seem to remember the name of some old um, set up a lunch and the, I won't remember all the chefs who were there, but like Thomas Keller and who was that first, uh, um, I really should have notes before I come to these no, things. No, no. Used to be the chef at the Watergate, uh, French name, um, Jean-Louis Paladin, oh. um, like all these fancy old time, old time, whatever, chefs. Um, and Paul Connors, the pastry chef, was like, I need you to create the greatest cheese board ever assembled for this group of chefs. Um, 
and uh, Emerald was there, I think, you know, <laughs> um, like literally. And so we had like a board. I mean, it was just a board. It was basically this table. And I just decked it the fuck out with the most incredible cheeses. Um, American cheese at this point weren't really a thing, you know, um, so much. But, but uh, you know, we just had the best of Europe in just beautiful condition. And we uh, um, laid it out. I wasn't there. You know, wasn't invited. But, uh, um, and I just started getting phone calls. And I was at Formaggio Kitchen one day. And um, phone rings like, Matt, Thomas Keller, line one. And I'm like, liar. <laughs> <laughs> And sure enough, it's like, hey, I had your amazing cheese. I want to put you in touch with my. Um, and we were shipping FedExing boxes of cheese twice a week to the French Laundry. This is before per se. And stuff. So this is just. Oh, uh, that is so And cool. to Emerald, you know, and to, oh, God, some of these restaurants, Marks and South Beach and this place called the Ryland Inn. I don't know if you remember in Jersey, fancy. Um, yeah, so that's, I guess, if the question that, yeah, was, did was, I ever sell cheese to, you know. Okay. Um, that was the, the, the lengthy lead-in to, now that, I have to it. that question. Okay, so, yeah, good. yes would have been a, yeah. the shorter no, no, answer. That's, you you yeah. gave me the answer I wanted. Yeah. You gave me the answer I wanted. Well, that's awesome. You know, last week we had Mark on, Mark Firth on. I am. And he was telling us about the time he met Marco Pierre White in his I restaurant am. in oh, Brooklyn. God. And, like, these, these stories where, I mean, we're, we're digging out the history of people that have gone ahead and planted their flags here in the Berkshires that have these crazy stories. And and I also love just going back to, to your story and Mark's and how they line up that so far the common thread is farming is what brings people to the Berkshires. I mean, he was coming up here with a refrigerated van, just like looking for goods to put into his restaurant before farm to table is a thing. And, and then was like, all right, we need a refrigerated truck. And they'd come up here and buy a bunch of stuff and then right. go back and be like, ah, we got way too much. And then he'd go to the farmer's market in his tuxedo, <laughs> <laughs> like after service, yeah. and like with the truck and be like, we have tomatoes. <laughs> you know? and, here you are. Yeah. and, uh, yeah, wow. That's, yeah. I mean, we you know when we moved out here and it's, you know, I don't, it's, it hasn't, you know, the, the heritage breed thing kind of fell apart. It was just what, well, maybe it was a little before it's time. It's coming back. It was in, well, but I mean the, the, this particular, oh, um, effort. vertical organization yeah. that was going to just, you know, change the world in that. And you know, the, the herds got scattered around, they're still around. You'll see, you know, some of these animals that were originally part of some of these heritage breed conservancy yeah. herds are still around. Um, but, uh, that kind of fell apart. The seed conservancy kind of fell apart. The, um, but when, you know, when we moved out here, we just had this vision of the Berkshires and it's, it's not realized, but it's not too late. You know, we had this vision of the Berkshires as, you know, um, th- this, this, I mean, Na- you know, Napa is a little strong, but mm-hmm. this, that this should be this rural kind of bread basket for the two great, you know, Northeast metropolises f- from which we're equidistant here yep. you know and and uh, um and it just seemed like when i came out here and there were you know there seemed to be a bunch of great restaurants and there was so much going on in farms and i was like you know we got to be part of this this is this has got to be this movement where the berkshires is just known for food and and farming for food yeah you know um and it, you know not that it hasn't developed that way it hasn't been quite the you know the grand revolution that I had hoped and, yep. um, you know, that, that 
was was very much in our minds as as we decided to uproot from you know Cambridge living and move out here well it, it has and it hasn't I, I would say it hasn't in reality and it has definitely in the press mm. especially recently as yeah you know you're part of this group like me that's being reached out to yeah. by Vogue New York Times right. eater this that right. it's like we're getting the press I thought Vogue was just me <laughs> no sorry honey no. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Josh had Teen Vogue, actually. <laughs> teen Vogue. <laughs> um, but uh, this is this is part of the call to action that we're talking yeah. about here of like, let's be that place. Yeah. We have all the necessary pieces. We are a community of creators yeah. and inventors and people that want to go in their path, in their lane. Yeah. Um, and, and we should be showcasing that, not just yeah. on this micro level here, even though now we have the audience for it, yeah. where we can just do it here. Yeah. But it should be bleeding into these two big cities to continue to showcase the hard work that's happening way, way, way behind yeah. the scenes. Yeah. I mean, not many people are coming yeah. and visiting these farmers that are producing some of the best raw ingredients yeah. in the country. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's why they're, that's yeah, why they're yeah. here. Yeah, I mean... In- you know, the, the, I mean, I think COVID has really boosted things in that direction yep. and more, you know, kind of linked us even more with, with, uh, New York, maybe more than Boston, but, um, but the, you know, the, if, if I can generalize about the kind of the demographic shift that's happened in the last couple of years that we've experienced, it's, it's, um, uh, younger people, mm-hmm. you know, people who are either got out of the city because of COVID or got out of the city because living in the city is pretty rough, especially if you have a young family. Um, and people now, the, the level of connoisseurship among the, you know, the, the, our clientele, you know, this, I was called the like lay connoisseurship. It's like these people will come in and they'll, you know, we sell wine now and they'll start asking questions about wine and, and, and then I'll realize halfway through the conversation, these guys know so much more than me, oh, yeah. you know, about wine. Um, and it seems like, you know, now is a, I'm, I hope now is a time when, um, when this, this imagination that I had of what this place would become will be because, I mean, I think, you know, well, you know this, you're a restaurateur. It's, it's, a, it's kind of a brutal place to operate a business you know it's mm-hmm. it's the the seasonal troughs are just devastating and the and the peaks aren't enough to make up for you know digging the holes that you dug in the in the shit times and yeah. and um and you know how many chefs you know that i knew who had really good restaurants who either bailed or kind of just dumb themselves down you know um just because it was so hard suddenly it's like oh you know i can't get staff i can't do that you know we got to lower our food costs you know got to get through the um and i feel like the 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 last couple years has afforded businesses like certainly mine and i hope yours and and other businesses that you know, those, those seasonal troughs are not as deep as they were yeah. and the peaks are so much higher. Yeah. Um, and so it, you don't, you know, we used to, you know, like New Year's Eve, we would make a toast and then, you know, and then I would hunker down for the misery that was going to be the next five months. A bleeding, you money. know? Yeah. And, 
Um, and at that point, you know, start like, I become like the, the biggest weather geek who ever lived. I'm like, holy shit, there's a disturbance in the Yukon. That means we're getting rain next Saturday, which, you know, I need next Saturday. And, um, and, um, but I think, I feel like things are maybe a little more primed to, to do really good things and, and, and have those things be, you know, economically sustainable for a business. I don't know. But uh, yeah, so maybe that maybe that kind of dream will continue to be, or at least on its way to realization that this should be this breadbasket. Yeah, definitely, definitely. All right, here's my next question. Yeah, you're opening the cafe. Mm, it's true. Um, I have always been humored by your job postings. Mm which yeah. uh, are not on the internet, but yeah. rather on right. a piece of paper on the well, window. Well, sometimes good food jobs. I put the same thing. Oh, Never you? once got an employee from that. <laughs> yeah. I love the idea of it, but yeah. It, it, good food a, jobs if you're listening. It's a, it's a funny thing because we're, we're talking about this food epicenter and all the rest and, and you know, 20 years ago for it to draw people like yourself and Mark just out of it and be like, I want to be a part of this movement. Yeah. And yet here we are with a fully stacked population of people and like where is that interest where is that spark of like yeah. something exciting is happening here and I want to be a part of that yeah. so uh, just because they've been so humorous and and having these pieces of pick pieces of paper on your windows that say do you have two legs <laughs> you know like you're hired pulse required negotiable yeah pulse <laughs> pulse required negotiable <laughs> It's so good, but, <laughs> but just just touch on like what that staffing has been like because I know uh, it, it's been challenging for everybody, but certainly yeah. you have you have showcased that a lot and and what yeah. what that means for someone who's trying to operate two businesses and trying to push that right. bar and showcase a great Berkshire business. Yeah, you know it's staffing is brutal. There's just no way around it. Um, the we were recently, you know, where we've we closed down the cafe in the beginning of COVID. Um, just couldn't figure out a way to do it. And I saw all kinds of wonderful restaurateurs like yourself going through just anything they could do to survive this, this thing and, and, and be as creative as possible. I was just like, I just don't want to do that. <laughs> you know, I just can't, I just can't do that. And the cafe and the store started doing well during COVID because people moved out. So we like, you know, bailed on the cafe. Um, and, uh, um, um, I'm rapidly losing my train of thought. This is Georgian wine here. Yep. Um, the, uh, um, and, oh, so that's what I was going to say. So anyway, we closed the cafe after like 16 something years and you know, the place was open is another roundabout way to answer your question, but the, the place was open for 16 years at that point, 16 and a half years, um, three days closed a year, you know, Christmas, New Year's and Thanksgiving. Um, otherwise it was open at seven o'clock and closed at six o'clock like clockwork, like clockwork. And when we closed and, you know, you look at it in a different light, you know, and you're like, holy shit, this place is trash. You know, (laughs) you know, it's like, we need to, so I just started throwing out everything, you know, all the appliances, you know, it's like, you might've saw my great, you know, panini grill giveaway some time ago. (laughs) And, you know, um, and, um, 
And I was like going through person. I was literally in the cafe, which has a wonderful fireplace that when we're open in the winter, you can sit by the fire and drink your lovely. hot chocolate and very lovely. At this point, at that day, I, I had the fire going. This is a couple months ago. And I was just burning, like burning like personnel records, <laughs> things like that. And we were going through, we had saved everybody's applications and, you know, W-2s or whatever, you know, that's why we were burning them, you know, they have yep. sensitive information on them. And uh, um, it's way funner than shredding. And the, um, and we're going through and we're like, okay, let's count these. Let's look at the, and at that point we had more than 400 employees that we, we've employed in the Berkshires from the time we opened till today, more than wow. 400 people. And like some of them were like, who is that? <laughs> I don't remember that person. So I'm like, oh, I remember her? She was mm -hmm. awesome, you know. Um, and uh, it just made us think just like how difficult it is employing people in the Berkshires. Like the store is a little bit different. You know, mm -hmm. the store, um, and anybody out there is looking for a job, you can take this as kind of descriptions of available positions, but um, the store is a little different. Like when you come, when you come to work in the store, you need to be um, you need to be prepared to absorb incredible body of information yeah. and to understand that you're never going to master it. So you have to take what information we give you, what you learn from us, what you learn from reading, what you learn from whatever research you're going to do, um, what you learn from just day to day work. You need to very quickly take what you can and synthesize it, you know, cause we're, you know, we're kind of known as, you know, we're expert in our subject. Yeah. And when you hire some kid, you know, work there, they're not going to be expert in that subject and customers don't want to hear that, you know, that the, the rookies helping them or whatever. Yeah. So you've got to very quickly take on this and it takes a different person. It's, it's somebody who probably is interested in being in the food business, you mm -hmm. know, maybe even kind of long-term. Um, and, uh, um, somebody is willing to do a little homework and, yeah. The cafe is a little different, you know. The cafe is is more restauranty, obviously. It's it's uh, um, it tends to be more transient because it's you know it's kind of rough work working yep. a restaurant. Um, so you know people don't last. Some people do. Some people don't. Um, and um, um, and uh, and you know if you're in the Berkshires and you're you know kind of Ruby's working age, you know, <laughs> sixteen to. 22 not that we haven't had people like outside that range you know you're either you're probably either from here and you're about to get packing you know or you're from here and you've been gone and you've come back or you just kind of bopped into town for a bit you know looking for or you have just been released from the house of corrections yep. which was a you know good feeder for a while there for yeah. uh, um or um, and, uh, I, I don't want to characterize the, the, uh, the, the empl potential employee pool as largely from the house of corrections, but it was a very useful, yeah. uh, uh, um, <laughs> and, um, funny. and so, um, but f for COVID, you know, the, the, everybody in the cafe bailed immediately. We had to close it. They were all kids who were like, parents were like, there's no way you're working in a cafe yeah. with this new disease going around. Um, and then the store people, nobody left, you know, we, we, one woman left to move on to another thing. Um, and we recently hired somebody new, um, but we had this core group, you know, and it was, uh, um, it was, I gotta say the last two years from a, well, obviously cause we didn't have the cafe, but the, has been the, just the chillest, you know, 
uh, employee situation we've ever had. Now we got to get going with the cafe again. But you know, today I got six applications. You know, people keep talking about um, uh, nobody wants to work. You know, and maybe uh-huh. that's true, and I don't understand it. And I think there's probably a lot more to it than what people think or say. But um, you know, we're hoping you know it goes back to the place where you know the cool kids, uh, yeah. you know, want to hang where out cool and, and work. Out. So. And can consistently yeah. know they can get a good cup of coffee. There you go. And coffee, and, coffee's free. And an egg sandwich. And, you know, if you work there. And uh, egg sandwiches are free. And uh, you Egg get sandwiches a, are coming back? Yeah. yeah we're, we, we've got, you know, we're hoping to open in like a month or so. Okay. And I've been telling people that for a couple of years now. A couple of years, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, um, it's, as my outfit, I didn't realize it was on camera here today. The, uh, um, I'm absolutely filthy. I was polishing copper all day. Wow. And, you know refinishing the wood with you know all kinds of horrible chemicals which seem to have stripped several layers of the skin off my hand gloves that's okay gloves um, gloves next time next time next time i strip down my cafe i'll wear gloves um and uh and the cafe is just going to be the cafe there's just not there's not gonna be many changes there are a few um uh, deletions from the menu um there'll be no more hot dogs okay okay hot oh. dog was popular uh, my wife didn't much care for the hot dog on baguette situation, mm-hmm. but uh, we found ourselves throwing out too many buns, mm-hmm. you know, um, and uh, so um, we were wasting too many hot dogs. We, you know, the hot dogs we sold, we sell from <coughs> Olympia Provisions in, in Portland, in Portland, and uh, they're fantastic. Yeah, and um, all their meat the, products are amazing. Yeah, and we were getting them bulk, and we were throwing out too many. So anyway, so no more hot dogs. And then there's one dish. I just want to say this is a public service announcement because yes. um, the egg bowl. I don't know if you're familiar with the egg bowl. This is not the uh, dip the toast. No, that's in the a egg. that's a soft boiled egg. Okay. With a little toast soldier that you yeah, did. My, very much. My son when we opened, that. when we opened, I had no experience with a restaurant of any kind, and and so literally everything on the menu was stuff that I know that I could. So the original menu was a grilled cheese sandwich, um, uh, soft boiled eggs. Um, you know, ham and cheese, uh, peanut butter and jelly. That was like the menu. You know, we didn't figure out the egg sandwich for years. The egg sandwich is a nothing short of a triumph over the laws of physics, <laughs> right? I don't want to make too much of my egg sandwich, but it is. I do. Try to tr- come up with a plan to make an egg sandwich when you don't actually have a kitchen mm-hmm. and you can't fry or scramble an egg or anything like that, yep. and it can only be made on a panini grill, you know, how are you gonna make like a delicious runny egg sandwich on a panini grill? It took us years to figure that out. Yeah, it's, yeah. Like, it's like Dan Barber and his whole wheat uh, croissant. It took nine years <laughs> to make. That's so awesome. <laughs> um, so, but how do you egg make bowl. that egg sandwich? What's that? How do you make that egg All sandwich? Right, so we tried everything. We tried soft boiling eggs, scooping out the inside. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. We tried everything from scrambling the eggs on a panini grill on a sheet of parchment. Mm. You know, we tried frying an egg in the same stupid manner. Um, eventually, um, a our first barista. Couple years into a guy named uh, Hugh Thornton. I don't know if you remember Hugh. He's a he's a um, character from around here. Who's, who's often he's a like a Steiner priest somewhere, and uh, you know Frankfurt or something. And he developed this thing where I don't know if you've noticed, but all of our sandwiches are made. 
found in parchment paper. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason for that, well, the original reason for that is because when I worked at Formaggio, we had a, the, the manager was a fairly devout Muslim, and he didn't want his anything he was eating to touch you know, the pork and whatever that we were grilling on the panini grills there. And so he would bring in his own lamb and stuff like that, and he'd make these incredible sandwiches, and he'd wrap them all in parchment paper. I was like, oh, does that even work? Like, how can you grill something wrapped in parchment paper? He's like, oh, I don't want my, you know, my sandwiches touching your, you know, your sandwiches. Um, and so, but I, we noticed that if you cook a sandwich that way, you can put anything you want in it. It's not going to run all over the grill. The grill stays pristine because mm-hmm. everything's in there. It still gets the grill marks. It still like cooks like you know like you were cooking on a grill, um, and uh, and it has this like on papillote kind of cooking thing where it's like you know it just cooks beautifully inside there and quickly. So we knew that when we opened the cafe, every sandwich is going to be cooked in parchment, mm-hmm. right? And we still do that. Um, we'll still do that. So. The egg sandwich, we take the parchment paper, we, and you can try this at home, but good luck. Um, uh, smear a little, well, we either butter one side of the bread, or I used to make it by just smearing some butter on the, um, on the parchment. Mm-hmm. Then, with your gloved fist, mm-hmm. you push down, not creating a hole, but just kind of a divot mm-hmm. in that piece of bread. So a little kind of bowl. Mm-hmm. Then you line that with butter. And you know, the one thing, I don't know how to cook. I mean, I know how to cook, but I don't know how to cook in a restaurant environment. Um, I don't know how to develop. All I know is that um, if you have the best humanly possible ingredients and the simplest preparation, that should trump my complete lack of skill and technique. That's how right. I open Cantino yeah. too. So it's just like just the best stuff <laughs> I know what I'm fucking doing. and simple way to do it. And that, that can be repeatedly done, consistently done by, you know, an 18 year old, whatever. Um, anyway, so you have this bread which is being baked special for us, these Pullman loaves. Press it down, smear it with a, um, butter. Um, we, we align the divot there with butter, kind of waterproofing it. Mm-hmm. And then break a raw egg into it. Break an egg into it. I guess it's obvious that it's raw. Um, then... So you have this egg just sitting in here, and then you put a little layer of ham, like an applewood smoked ham, and then a couple layers or a couple pieces of comte, you know, which we don't buy like sliceable Swiss kind of thing. We buy whole wheels, like 80-pound wheels of comte from the Jura, and we break it down and slice it into little squares. Um, put that on top, put the other piece of bread on it, carefully wrap it in parchment, put it in the grill at 500 for six minutes and 20 seconds, and if all goes well, that egg, the yolk, the white is set, the yolk is, is runny, um, the cheese is melted and slightly burnt around the edges, mm. the ham is cooked, and the, the grill marks are there, the bread is crisp and absolutely sopped in butter. Oh. Um, and uh, and if you're and lucky, voila. they got a little bit of that <laughs> habanero hot sauce. Oh, yeah, and, then, yeah. and, and the hot sauce. Yeah is Ugh. is uh, just for you Bostonians who might be listening to this. Um, there used to be, a, well, there's a, used to be, still very much alive, but it's the chef, Chris Schlesinger. He wrote a bunch of great books on uh, grilling with uh, Doc Wood, John Willoughby. Um, and um, uh, they had a brand of hot sauce called Inner Beauty. And it was like this 
habanero scotch bonnet curry mm-hmm. and it was sold in bottles and i think they were having it made in like jamaica you know um and then that company that made it was gone and then the restaurants were gone um and then one day i was just like f- reading whatever flipping through whatever and i saw an interview where somebody was like will you ever release the recipe for your inner beauty hot sauce he's like yeah i'll do it right now and he rattled off the ingredients <laughs> And so now we recreate and will continue to recreate the, the famous inner beauty hot sauce of the East Coast Grill of Somerville, Massachusetts. And that is the flaming uh, yeah, love hot, it. but I love rich it. and delicious hot sauce that Tropical. is an option on the side should you choose yeah, to. I, I, and, is, and is part of our Cuban, although our Cuban sandwich is about as Cuban as I am, but <laughs> so, it's tasty. Super tasty. Super tasty. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right, next question. Um, with, uh, you mentioned during COVID, the wine shop definitely yeah. like popped off. And I know you yeah. got a liquor license yeah. uh, or a want beer. And, is yeah, it a full yeah. liquor or is it just beer and wine? Just beer and wine. Just beer and wine license there, which was huge. The timing was great. You oh definitely were, were able to execute from being right there on the line to yeah. now I can capitalize yeah. on it. But I think your shop it has done a really good job of being available for everybody and is capitalizing on this new Berkshires that's here. And just talk a little bit about what that's been like to see these new people, these younger people that are okay and educated, spending money yeah. on interesting wines. You definitely yeah. have the most interesting wine collection oh, thank you. in town. And that's where I go, to, you know, shopping for fun wines and what that's been like having those people here and how that's changed your business. You know, between you and me. Sure. You know, we were, it's tough operating out here, and we'd been through some rough years, you know, um, uh, all kinds of reasons, and it was just, it was difficult. And we were, you know, I haven't told a lot of people this, but we were, we were pretty much ready to hang it up mm-hmm. a couple years ago. It's just, it's just brutal. I mean, you know how it is. It's just, you're just trying to get through the week. You're just trying to get through a year. You're trying to have some money, pay yourself some money. It's just, just brutal. And so we were like, we're going to try to get this damn wine license, um, as we've been trying to do at that point for 15 years. Um, and we're going to put everything we have into getting that wine license. Because without that wine license, we're just flat out not going to make it. Um, and, um, and we used the same arguments that we had been using from the get-go, which we felt were valid and eventually were, were, were shown to be valid, that the town had actually several licenses available, and they were simply choosing not to, to um, issue them. Anyway, I won't go into all the details of that, but um, we got this wine license, you know. And in the store, in the cafe too, and I'm, and I'm proud of this, and I, I say this, you know, with a straight face, trying not to be too much of a dick, but it's like, it's my name is on, I mean, literally my name is on the front door. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I only want to sell, like everything in my store is filtered through my palate, my sensibilities, Mm -hmm. Um, everything, you know, it's because I love it, I love the people who make it, you know, not that I'm blind to what I think will sell and what I don't think will sell, but I have no interest in selling something because it will sell, Mm -hmm. you know, and... You're a curator. um, I'm just, you know, I, I, but, you know, it's like, but it's not curator in a museum sort of sense. I kind of think of myself as a, God, it's incredibly pretentious, but it's like, you know, 
we in this business are like, you know, where we, you know, we we're like gatekeepers, you know, we yeah. like there's and people want in, you know, yeah. we want to let them in. But, you know, it's it's impossible for me. I'm a horrible salesman. It's impossible for me to sell something to somebody that I myself don't love. Yeah, that you right. don't stand behind. Right. So the, the plan is, you know, we're just going to sell exactly what I love. Which is not always the way people go about setting up a business, but it's like, we're going to sell what we love, and then we hope that people are going to buy into my taste, mm-hmm. you know, my palate, whatever. Um, and, you know, just shamelessly going to do that. You know, oh, why don't you sell this? You know, I just don't like it. You know, or, oh, I like it, but I don't like the guy who makes it or something, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and, um, and that's how we've always been. And we have a really good following, but they're flat out just is not enough people out here, or I'm speaking kind of historically here, or maybe not, not enough people out here, but where we are, people are just far flung. Like, you know, when I go to your, when I go to Cantina, you know, and I see people there, I'm like, I know that guy. He must have just driven an hour, you know, to get here. And mm-hmm. you're, you know, from my house, it's, I'm in Great Barrington, you know, you're a good solid 20 minutes away, you know. Yeah. And so maybe if we, if we added up the, you know, kind of the likely shoppers among the populations of Litchfield County, Columbia County, Dutchess County, you know, Berkshire County, um, then there are plenty of people here. But they're not coming every other day. They're not coming every week. You know, they're they're yeah. coming once a month or something like that. So, um, the so it's a bit of a struggle, but not so much of a struggle that you're going to change your tune. And what good would that do anyway? You know, just start selling shit that's available everywhere. No, you no. know, um, we always felt and we felt this in Richmond, and this was a big source of conflict with our former partners. We're like, okay, we're in Richmond. You know, there's no walk by traffic here except for the occasional drifter. So we really better make this as destination-y as possible. And they mm-hmm. were like, oh no, we need to sell lottery tickets and cat food and stuff like that. I was like, I get that point, but that's not what I want to do. Side yeah. note on the on the Richmond population research you had me do yeah. before, it's been uh, declining 8% since 1994. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Consistently Great. declining 8%. Oh, goodness. I'm so, not, uh, I wasn't able to find what the population was uh, was uh, right. back in the okay, pre-revolution yeah, yeah. days, but in a future yeah. episode, we'll, we'll still look. still not a great picture in terms. Yeah. Of. So um, so, and then we get this wine license, and I'm kid in a candy store, and kid in a wine store. It's like you know, I used to sell wine in Richmond, and I was a, a student of wine, and I used to hang out with wine people. It's a different world now. It's a di- there's so much more wine so than this much. whole concept of natural wines, you know, which is I think a woefully inadequate, you know, expression. But um, but uh, it's a different it's a different world. And so suddenly I have this wine license. I'm oh, what do I sell? You know, I'm just gonna sell stuff I love. You know, oh, I'm gonna keep it under this you know price point. Oh, but I can't because I need this. You know, I got to drink that myself. You know, <laughs> but I'm feeling comfortable selling wines that I myself can't afford. You know, yeah. Um, and uh, but COVID, you know, and maybe maybe COVID was just an accelerator to what might be happening anyway. But suddenly, not only just in, in terms of numbers of people who were coming into the store, mm-hmm. and I'm talking double. Yeah. You know, our business doubled during yeah. COVID. You know, it's the um, but a different a different type of customer in a way, like we were talking about before. A lot of younger people 
you know, and I mean younger 20s to you know, 40s, whatever, you know, um, people who are city folk, you know, people who are connoisseurs, people who, but, but you know, but not like, you know, not like, uh, um, not like, you know, just they're rich, so they buy expensive food, you know, because they're not necessarily rich. And, you know, like I when I was at Formaggio, I probably shouldn't say this on the air, but we opened a store in Nantucket. And it was just the least challenging, most unsatisfying. Totally. You know, it was like there, we would sell these little things of candy. They were just simple candy. We charged like two ninety five, And woman took us aside and was like, you need to charge more for these. Like, what do you mean? Like, well, two, nobody's going to buy anything for two ninety five. So we like charged seven ninety five, and they flew off the shelf. It's like, yeah. oh my God, that's nauseating. Yeah. You know, I think the clientele here is very much like my clientele in Cambridge. They're very interested in food. Mm-hmm. They're interested in in trying new spend, things. Trying new things, but they're willing to spend money on food. But they they have to have a perception of value. Sure, you know they have to have a perception that they're getting something truly wonderful and rare for that. You know, seventy buck a pound. You know, brezaola or something totally. like that. Um, and, and we're just seeing more and more of those customers, not that they were here, they weren't here before, but they, they're here in just greater numbers. Um, and so suddenly you, you come in and, you know, you, 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 customers come in and they look at your, your sometimes wacko selection of natural wines as I try to develop my own taste for these things and get a sense of, and they'll just look at that bottle like, oh my God, how do you have that? You yeah. know, and just give me give me all you got, you know? Mm-hmm. I've been trying to find that in the city, but for weird quirks of wine distribution, sometimes we get stuff that you're just not getting. No, anywhere, not we, you, know? you. Well, whatever. But so, <laughs> so the, 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 the kind of the augmented clientele, you know, the expanded clientele, on top of our, our, the core clientele we've had for so long, um, has just been thrilling and has really allowed us to do fun stuff. You know, if you, you come in the store now and the shelves are full, you know, with, um, like right now we're struggling to, like we have this like staging area of wines and things that I'm buying too much of and I don't have room for them on the shelf. You know, it's just like, well, that didn't used to be the case. I was always very much like, well, let's see if we, let's see if we spread move this out a little <laughs> bit, and, you know, put this box on the shelf next to it and, you know, to look full. But now it's like, we don't have enough room to, put all the things we want to sell and that people are coming in and buying. It's pretty thrilling. You know? Yeah. I noticed that I was in there the other day as Jacob was telling me, he was like, Oh, you got to try this wine. Uh, mm-hmm. Matt probably has it like go buy a bottle and I'll, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll reimburse you for it. And yeah. I was like, Oh my God, there's a whole table here. There's another table here. And then there's this massive shelf. This yeah. is awesome. And yeah. as I'm looking around, I'm like, Ooh, I want that. I want <laughs> yeah. that. I want that. I mean, you know, it's, I mean, our shop is nothing and shops like ours is nothing if you're not just having a blast finding stuff in there, you yeah. know, which has always been my philosophy, which, you know, um, of a store and particularly a store in a place that is not so heavily populated like, you know, New York or something where you got to be different. Yes. You got to be unique, you know, and sometimes you can't compete on price with somebody so you know i can't compete on price with some of the other stores in town so i'm just selling different stuff and cool stuff and stuff that i gotta like you know you know my i go to new york 
um, mostly New York because that's where the warehouses are. And I'm picking stuff up that if I didn't go down and kind of, you know, finagle my way into these warehouses and pick up this stuff, the stuff's just not up here. You yeah. Know, it's not. So. And I, I've you know. always applauded you for doing that. I mean, even you joked about your olive oil business and back right, at right, yeah. MIT. But uh, as we started getting to talk once we were opening Mooncloud, and yeah. for those that don't know, we brought Matt on to do our cheese board. You yeah. know, I, I, this is before I knew you did yeah, it for yeah. Thomas Keller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not going to say we have similar tastes, but we kind of do. Yeah. We, we know good things. Yeah. Um, but we, you know, we started talking about olive oil, and you were like, well, I can get this. I'm like, where do you get that? And you're like, oh, well, I, I meet some guy in Brooklyn. And right. that's so yeah. cool that you're out there searching for it, pulling it. And we should all, as a community, like, appreciate that. That so often, I'm sure is the case, people come into Rubiners that don't have that understanding of what you're offering. And are like, yeah. oh, this is too expensive. But you know what? You're right. There are six other places yeah. you can buy cheese yeah. in town, including yeah. the grocery stores. And you know yeah. what? Sometimes so I'm not yeah. looking for extraordinary cheese. Yeah. I'm just looking to do a filler. Yeah, I go to Big Y and I buy cheese yeah. because that's where they have the four yeah. cheeses my wife likes, yeah. which are basic. I mean, and that's you know, totally if, fine. If you rummage through our fridge, you're going to find, you know, I've been busted <laughs> on a number of occasions buying like cheese at Price Chopper. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm making a taco. I need some cheddar. I don't have any. My wife likes the little red things in the wax. Yeah, <laughs> oh, my, my, my wife likes a borzen, <laughs> you know, and her borzen, what can I say? Uh, um, but g- going back to kind of what got you into the food world and that you like nice things. And I think one thing I know for sure when I walk in there is that everything does have a stamp of approval through you. And that should be welcomed and appreciated and valued as something that is being showcased. Yeah. This is different. Yeah. And I picked this for a reason. And the price, you're not price gouging anybody. Yeah. No. In fact, I, I mean, God. I don't know what cheese costs, but uh, I know what yeah. the wine costs. If only we were price gouging. But I'm looking at your wines yeah. and I'm thinking, wow, this guy does an amazing job of pricing wine. Like, I don't know how you do it or, you know, where you're, where you're making it back up right. or not. Right. Uh, but good things cost money. And that goes, yeah. that trickles down I mean, down it's, it's a always a further. sensitive issue because, yeah, we're expensive. But I always look at it as like, you know, somebody said, like, this is expensive. It's expensive because it's expensive. Yes. You know, it's expensive because the the circumstances of, of its production makes it expensive. Yes. Or the logistics of getting it here make it expensive. Yes. And I'm not saying that, you know, there's, you know, this would be a lot easier if I got it without going through three or four middlemen or something, but that's the way it works and everybody's got to make money along the way. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, our I don't want to sound too defensive, but you know, the products that we sell are for the exact same product somewhere else are not any more or less expensive. There's quirks. Some places sell things cheaper or something. But the, the um, so expensive things, you yeah. know, not always. You know, you can sit at my candy counter there and spend, you know, 75 cents on a, on a salted caramel lollipop from Brittany or whatever. And, you know, some of our cheeses. But, if it, you know, if you look at a cheese and you say, you say, oh, that cheese is forty nine ninety five a pound, which... Granted, this is the extreme high end of a cheese price, but forty nine ninety five a pound—that's crazy. That's that's you know, not gouging, but that's that's way too expensive. But it is precisely the the most expensive things in the store that are made on the most you know, dare I say, like peasant scale. It's like yeah. you come and you want to buy um, um, this particular you know 
raw milk goat cheese from the Haute Garonne or whatever. It's like, um, yeah, if you were in that village, it would be pretty inexpensive. But, you know, this is a, a young couple with, you know, a few of heritage goats living I mean, literally in the mountains um, making these cheeses. And these cheeses miraculously find their way down from these mountains to, um, to the market Rangis in Paris, you know, and find their way often on a plane because there's no other way to get it here. And if you've seen, you know, what a, you know, air freight costs these days, uh -huh. insane. Um, and by the time it gets here, it's 18 bucks for a little piece. And, you know, and maybe if you, if you did that by the pound, it'd be like 50, 60 bucks. But that cheese is a miracle. Yeah. And it's a miracle that it's here, you know. And, and uh, um, you know, I, I, that's one thing I always found that, like, when, you know, when you get branded as fancy or whatever. Yeah. But, you know, the fanciest things in the store are the simplest, most kind of traditional, true, honest, of the earth, of a tradition um, and that's expensive. I wish it weren't so. I mean, one of the things we do in the, in the store and in the cafe, and it's not enough, but we offer 20% discount to farmers, mm -hmm. you know, because it is this terrible, I don't know what the word is, paradox or whatever that, you know, um, farmers, producers of food, really high quality artisan producers of food might be among the least likely people able to afford their own food when it comes out in a restaurant or in a shop. Yeah. You know? Um, and, but it's, that's the way it is, you know, and it's not, we're, we're, we, you know, our, our margins, I wish they were way higher, you know? Yeah. Um, and is there are a lot of cheese that you see being made in the Berkshires that's, that interests you? Here's my view on cheese, um, in the Berkshires and elsewhere. We want, we, on one hand, we want to sell great cheese, you know, um, and I'm going to be in so much trouble, but the, we want to, you know, it's like natural wines or organic or whatever, all local, you know, all that's wonderful. Yeah. All that is laudable. All that is desirable components of the production yeah. of a food product. Yeah. What is most important, what is of paramount importance is how good it is at the end. Totally agree. You know? So, um, if, if, uh, like I always get, you know, if, if I, if, if I see a product and the biggest word on the label is organic, yeah. it probably sucks. Yeah. You know, it's because the focus is on its organicness, which is what you should focus on. But I mean, but uh, but it has to be good. Yeah. You know, it has to be really, really good. The, you know, organic has never been a synonym for quality. It's a yeah. desirable means of production. Yes. And it's, if you can get great quality and produce it, and not that we're selling anything that's, you know, industrial or, you right. know, well, you, absolutely not organic. But so we're going to, you know, we're going to sell good cheese. It's hard enough to sell good cheese because cheese is, Moving around, you know, and cheese alive. is like, you got to keep it. It's alive. Or people always say that. Like my boss used to say, cheese is a living thing. And over the years I've learned that, no, cheese is a living thing until it gets in the shop and you sever its rind. Then it's a dying thing. <laughs> and then your job is to sell it 
before you know it has to go into like hospice care. And the and the if a if a cheese is um, the cheese has to be great. The customer is um, also wants organic cheese and so forth, but the customer wants a really good cheese and no amount of, well, this is made this way, this way, this way, this way, no. but it sucks or it's just not great, is going to convince a customer to buy it more than once, you know? Yeah. The, the, the first sell is easy. The, the, it's- I, I think that's a huge mistake that a lot of businesses and, and leaders make is selling based off of some of those notions that you mentioned, organic, this, I, you whatever know, I, it is. I but agree. It, but those that have the trust in themselves, yeah. in their palate or their ethos or whatever it is to say, look, that's cool. Like, oh, it's good. It's organic. It's like, no, no, no. Is it good? Yeah. Great. Now that we yeah. know it's good, now we can start talking right. about the reasons why we think it adds right. to its goodness. Yeah, absolutely. But, but I totally agree with yeah. you. And that's a huge misconception that like, yeah. you can't just sell something because it says right. that it's doing something right. right. And local is a big part of that. I, I love huge. that you loop that into there because people are like, oh, why don't you have local? And I don't really want to get into, you know, no. noting well, some right. of the other local products that it's like, just being local isn't enough. If I'm going out and I'm sourcing the best farm vegetables and the best meat and this and that yeah. and the other thing and saying it's good because of that, that doesn't mean that because of it's it's a logic thing, right? right? One has to come right. before the next. But but then there's an but there's an, a component of that that is if a cheese say or any other product, you know, kind of new to the market, they've just started making cheese, or they've just started growing this or that, or they've just started making cider, or they've just started making beer, whatever. Um, and if they have the right sensibility, if they have an understanding of what their, what the end goal is here, and they're trying to get there, but maybe they're not quite there yet, we'll support that. Yes, You know, totally. It's not quite the polished, finished product, as the French Loire Valley chef I got that the family's been making for 300 years right, or whatever. we're loving what they're right. doing. Loving what they're doing. We believe in what they're doing. They're trying real hard and, they're, they're, and they're, their quality is improving and they're taking advice. And, you know, and I feel like it's incumbent on us, you know, you as a chef or me as a cheesemonger or grocer to, um, to, be in a position to nurture that, yeah. But with the understanding that I'm not buying it just because it's local, yeah. You know, I have my great... customers want we. I need that end quality, or at least a clear indication that that's the direction things are going. I have a great example of this that is not local, but yeah. totally checks the mark. So we can talk about it. Scout canning. Oh God. Okay. So Matt got us into the canned fish world. Yeah. He hooked us up with his guy who's in Boulder, Utah, Utah. Like, yeah. right? Guy has a chocolate and tin fish importing thing. And we started, uh, we started with this one company scout because one of their investors had reached out to us yeah. as a customer. I was like, you guys got to try this product. It's great. Super cool. They are out of Canada doing sustainable fishing. Uh, which is a big problem for the tin fish world. It's, it's not sustainable. They're just throwing nets and blah, blah, blah. But to go from tasting some of these Jose, uh, what is it? I want to say Jose Cuervo, but that's just no, a tequila Jose, bottle. Um, Andreas or? Uh, Jose. Well, and the Patagonia ones. Jose and all Pena. These, all these beautiful, yeah. beautiful yeah. tin fish production that are so tasty. Mm. Like they just like the flavor is there. You yeah. open it, you taste it. Yeah. You're like, this is good. Yeah. And then we were like, all right, let's try Scout because 
we just watched this movie Seaspiracy and now we want to try something that's yeah. much more sustainable. The story checks the boxes. The, the packaging checks the boxes. It's cool packaging, this, that, the other thing. We taste it. It's just not good. Mm. It's not good. And so even though we wanted it on the menu, Billy and I just decided, look, it's not good enough to be on the menu. We can't stand behind this. Mm. But what I did instead, because I really like their mission. Mm. I mean, they're a new company wanting to do good by the oceans and be the future of can fishing is I reached out to them and I gave them feedback and I was like, look, do you guys have a chef that's like testing these recipes yeah. because this tasted like this? And I gave them a, a ton of feedback yeah. as to here are the reasons why I can't keep buying. Yeah. And if you can fix three out of the four of them, I'll be your best customer. Yeah. And I will. Yeah. And I totally will continue yeah. to buy. It just wasn't good right. enough for right now. Yeah. Which, I, which is a real service. I mean, I think that that we, as kind of the end user or the second to end user, yes. um, can offer is, you know, we, you know, understand customers. I mean, we understand um, the market, you mm-hmm. know, and we have a sense of, <clears throat> you know, what you could be doing, like you said, to make this thing, you know, for whatever aspect of its production to get it to that point. I mean, I know with Scout, there's issues of like regulation. You know, yeah, they got to cook shit to a certain temperature or right. some stuff, you know. Um, Which is sad. Yeah. No, just, just to know? fill everybody. Well, it's like here with the raw milk. Just you know? to, Exactly. Just yeah. to fill everybody in on it because it's an interesting point. The reason that I was getting this like chewiness and, and like cardboardy texture out of lobster, trout, mussels, versus the European ones, which are just these soft, yeah. delectable, juicy, is the production in Canada has to be processed, was it twice or three times? No uh, at <clears throat> 250 degrees, the can needs to get to for a minimum of 12 minutes or whatever mm. it is. And that production, which is an FDA thing, yeah. ruins their product. Yeah. And I was like, well, don't, don't you think that's a huge hiccup in your business model? Like, <laughs> Like I, I would have figured that out a yeah. long time ago. I wouldn't have gotten this far. Uh, and I hope they can figure it out. Yeah. But that, And I'll just mention that, especially for me right now, because I'm going to go on a rant for a second, and I'm going to have you join in with me. But this discussion is going to be summarized by the things we do as business owners are with intention. And that intention is never to, to ruin the customer's experience. Right? <laughs> But, but sometimes we got to split hairs. Sure, I've ruined a few customer experiences. <laughs> Intentionally? <laughs> All right, sometimes. But, but some, of these, some of these decisions as far as, well, why, why don't you have this and you only have this? Or uh, in my experience, why do I have to get up out of my chair to go order tacos when I used to be able to just sit here and a nice young man in a tank top yeah. would come over and and get me my tacos for me whatever yeah. that but we are i want to i want to go Hashtag ahead and make, pete yeah i'm talking about <laughs> pete I, we as business owners are having to take leaps of faith every single day and making sure that we are constantly redefining where is true north for our business yeah. again yours has your name on it it yeah. is a true reflection of where you're going yeah. but that is not just for you you are doing it for the staff that's working there mm-hmm. And for the customers that are coming through your business doors. And I think a little bit of recognition that all those decisions are not made lightly. They're, they're typically yeah. very well thought out. Yeah. And if, if Matt decided... They don't always work, but they're well it, thought out. It doesn't out. always work. Yeah. But like they were done with a, for a reason. And so the reason I bring that up, just 
I, I thought it, it summarized kind of what, what you've been working on and, and the, just the, the vision of what Rubiners is. The reason I bring that up is because um, I want to talk about reviews for a moment. Oh, God. <laughs> What reviews? I see you have. Who reads that you shit? You have a way of not reading it. I can't help myself. No, we, it's been an evolution. Like we, we. Oh, let me stammer here for a few minutes while I get my wits about me. You know, we we used to flip out. You know, about reviews. Yeah, and we're a cheese shop, so the only rev- it's not like there's you know the, the, there's a you know food critic coming in. This is just Yelp or whatever. Um, we used to trip out, and we would read them, and, and 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 literally we would have like staff meetings, and we'd go around, and and we'd each take turns reading the Yelp reviews, just the bad ones, you know, and a lot of them were fair, you know, in the sense that. Uh, I remember that interaction. Yeah, that was a little unsavory. <laughs> you know, that didn't that didn't quite go the way we wanted. But then a lot of them, um, most of them, were, you know, maybe not fair. Like criticizing us for something we have no intention of doing. Like getting, I mean, somebody just slammed us once for because we refused to have a garnish with our sandwiches. They want you putting microgreens on top some of the sandwich. Some freaking thing or a pickle or some <laughs> goddamn thing. And it was like, oh, yeah, we don't do this. So flipped out that we don't have a fucking garnish. Or somebody came in once and was like, "And I, can I get tomato and lettuce on that? Yeah. And we're like, no, we, well, we don't have tomato and lettuce. Yeah. You're a sandwich shop. You don't have tomato and lettuce. You know, and as soon as you start trying to explain yourself and shit, you've, it's lost. You've already lost the game. But you're like, no, well, you know, we 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 work very closely with the seasons and local farmers. Yeah. Um, we don't put a tomato on anything until there is a tomato growing under the sun in Berkshire County. Yeah. We, same with lettuce. Or, and it used to be we'd go through months without salads. We've changed that because there's a lot of growers who are doing whatever. Gr- you know, greenhouse. Yeah, but. Um, and uh, but then just get trashed, you know, for that, um, or for prices, yeah. or for and 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 so the things that were like, oh yeah, we fucked that up, you know, yeah, I was a total dick to that guy, whatever, yeah. you know. Um, but then, but there were so many things where it was like, you know, the you just don't like what we're trying to do, and I think we're doing it well. You just don't like it, so right. and that's on trash you. me if you want. But I'm just not going to read that shit anymore. Like I was, I was telling you before, it's like, you know, my... Um, yeah, what was that quote? It was, the you know, my favorite Ruth, what, among my many favorite Ruth Reichel quotes, um, you know, who I think we all count as a customer, although she's moving to California, she's bugging out of the area. It's irritating. Mm-hmm. Um, her review is like, anybody believes the Yelp review is an idiot. I mean, that's the quote. And and it's, I'm not saying that everybody writing Yelp review is an idiot, but it's it's... It's Yelp is in, in similar ones. There's the haters, Yep. you know, and they just got to get it off their chest. Yep. You know, my favorite are the bad reviews on the square receipt, which they don't realize is just coming back to me. Yeah. It's not like it's me. <laughs> so they write these lengthy. So there's that, or there's the true lovers, 
Yeah. Oh, you know, it's the greatest place ever, five star, whatever. Yeah. Um, and which is it, which is only good to counterbalance the bad, but, uh, right? But also, but it's isn't like, true. You know, it, exactly. And it's it's so it, at well, some point. And I'm not saying that we're not kind of controversial. I'm not saying that you know I don't piss some people off, and I'm yeah. not saying that you know our products, our store is not for everybody, and our cafe is not for everybody because it's it's I'm doing what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Um. And that is to find things of extreme quality in mm-hmm. whatever kind of class they're in, you know, it's yep. extreme quality lollipop or an extreme quality bottle of olive oil, yeah. you know, um, and that, that's what I'm going to do. I'm never not going to do that. Please keep doing you know? that. And, and if there are criticism and I'm sorry, but you know, an anonymous review is to me, except for the really good ones, a cowardly act. You know, you got a problem. Just bring it up to me. Don't, know. don't you, shame if, me. If you don't, need to air something off your chest, you know, like do it in front of a full dining room. Yeah, All right, uh, I'm, I'm going to read just, just because oh, I'm, no, I'm... Wait, so you're not so reading mine, no, are you? No, I'm not going to read Jesus yours. Christ, I didn't sign up for I, that. I just, as I was walking in today to, to the office, I got... Four reviews on Google for Mooncloud in a row. They're separated by one minute each, okay? The first one says, half of the five-star reviews mention negatives on this page, but regardless, this place is overpriced, as overpriced as something that's actually really good. It's just not. It's the one place making drinks, that's all. Learn how to make your own. I'm like, okay, so I started writing him you know, a response, and that's when I got the doo-doo-doo, next one. Next one. Oh, wait, you responded? Hold on, I was going to. Awful for the price. And yeah, decent drinks, so what? Get a grip and stop paying for what you could pay for a full meal and a beer just for your toast. Okay? Next one. Overpriced joke. Just make your own drinks at home because it's not that hard. Here they'll probably charge you just to use the bathroom if they even have one. And then finally, don't waste your money unless you have enough to buy everyone in the bar toast. Is that the same, all the same That's person? That's a lot. Right. Guys, right. a toast for you. Is it He's all freaking the same out person? About toast. So it's four different accounts that this person created. One is called the conductor. One is called music manager. One is called Wombo King Evolution. And one is called Ethan. Oh, shit. I know Wombo King Evolution. You do? Nah, I'm just kidding. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> shit. But, My bro Wombo. But, That's his actual name. But I, I went ahead and clicked into these to see what their other reviews have been. And this same person has reviewed the same couple of places, and they do it in groupings of four, just bashing it. So I did go ahead and respond. And I wrote, not sure what, besides price, made you feel the need to post four back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back one-star reviews for a small business. But whatever is going on, we hope you're okay. If we did something that can be corrected, please email us at mooncloudgb at gmail.com. Also, please email us if you're interested in our cocktail classes. Since you met, since you mentioned, you'd rather have cocktails at home because you can't afford to go out. Cheers, the Mood Clown team. But man, I am fucking pissed off. Okay, what what kind of person feels the need to go ahead and bash a small See, business? Dude, you, you just need to stop reading them. You just need to stop reading them. I mean, you know, is it is it? It's almost like is social it having media. A, an effect on your business? No, I'm full. That this jerk ha- off is writing these reviews? No, it's, it's, you know, it's having an effect on me. You know, it's like... Me. 
where you know when when we used to read the reviews, which I don't. Unfortunately, my staff still reads the reviews, so they'll be like, so "Hey, just see that guy." Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, <laughs> fuck that guy. But <laughs> um, but, uh, um, but you know the which is happening because it was just it was just getting us down and making us kind of question our mission. You know, question what we're doing, and not that we can't tweak things here and there. You know, not that you know. We can't be, you know, whatever. But, but we're, we want to do what we want to do. And we want to do it, and if it's not like, I mean, it's not. At some point, I just realized it's not really affecting our business that I know of. You know, like I said, you know, we're full. We're, you know, it's it's. It, it just became so uninteresting, and. Don't you, you know, wish though that. You could, like, the idea of reviews just sound very good. And I, I think that the idea of reviews come from the idea of criticism at first, like, right? So critique. Like the critics, yeah, yeah, critique. Like, the critics will go yeah. in, like, the people that know about whatever yeah. it is uh, that the subject, you know, they'll go in and they'll be like, okay, well, uh, you know, this is good, this is bad, and this is the other thing. Uh, and, uh, Oh yeah, I gotta put myself. I got, there. I got, I got one more to read for Cantina. Just, oh boy! Just because I want, because because I'm hot. All right. <laughs> this is on Yelp eight days ago, and remember, eight days ago was our first taco night of the season yeah. with all new things. Yeah. Right. Good things take time. Rome wasn't built in a day. Now here's what the woman said: I have been a big fan of Cantina for years. Good. But I have to say, I was not at all impressed with its current reopening. I attended Taco Tuesday tonight only to be guided to essentially a taco truck. The tacos were good and prices were fair, but otherwise, the pricing for what you got was outrageous. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, can I have it in a glass? No lime garnish and a sugar rim. It's the garnish woman. <laughs> it's the garnish woman. She said no lime garnish, garnish and a sugar rim instead She's of salt. The rounds. And besides, uh, margaritas used to be the reason I went to Cantina. Please bring back the old Cantina. The new version is a zero. Okay, now I'm broadcasting this on this podcast because my response was as somebody that claims they're a big fan of my restaurant, wouldn't you think that on the opening night, there's bound to be a couple things that are wrong? And wouldn't you have a little bit of faith Nothing in- Nothing she listed there was wrong. Nothing, but, but so, so give me the benefit of the doubt or send me an email. I got another email from somebody who had some, some good critiques of like, hey, yeah. just thought you should know. I've been to your restaurant so many times. Here are the things that keep bringing me back. Yeah. And here are some of the things that happened last night that didn't work so well yeah. for me, and here's why. Yeah. You know what I responded to her? Hey, meet me at the bar tomorrow night at six o'clock. Dinner's on me. Yeah. Let's talk about right. it. I'd love to workshop right. some of these things. It always wonders, like, what are, the, what are these people hoping to achieve? What's the goal? What's the goal? I mean, it's this anonymous review, you know? It's this anonymous review that are you seeking to, you know, actually hoping to make, have the restaurant make these few improvements? So you'll you'll be happier there? No, you know, you've, they're not coming back or, you know. Or, you know what? They probably are coming yeah. back because 
they want it. Yeah. But come on, like you know, have yeah, a, have a little just, a know, little bit just... of ebb and flow to it. Realize there's a person on the other side of the thing. They're hardworking people working their butts off. Yeah, My whole staff yeah. had just pulled eight days in a row trying yeah. to figure out how to get there. Endless, endless nights, early morning, right. showing up to work at ten o'clock in the morning just so that we're ready for four o'clock when we open the doors and then to go ahead and get smacked in the face like that. It's just disrespectful. Yeah. Yeah. Just disrespectful. So I'm flat scared to open the cafe. You know, it's like we've been closed for a couple of years every single day. Like, you know, when are you opening? When are you opening? When are you opening? Oh, by the way, when are you opening? So we're, we're like, I'm over there scrubbing the cafe. Are you open? When are you opening? You know? And um, and we're trying to get open, but you know, it's by the, when we get open, it's going to be July, mm-hmm. you know, the peak season, or at least the, the, yeah. the cusp of peak season Rough. and we're going to get slammed and I don't know if we're going to be able to handle it. You know, I don't know what kind of staff we're going to have, you know, you know, we've always been, one of the things we get slammed about a lot is the time it takes to get a sandwich. Yeah. You know, but it's like, all right, we're cutting everything to order. You know, it takes six minutes to cook, so don't expect it in four minutes. Yeah, six (laughs) minutes and 20 seconds. That's just the egg sandwich. Um, You know, um, it's going to be brutal. Yeah. You know, it's just going to be brutal. You know, the, I don't, I can't imagine we're going to be open with a full complement of staff. Yeah. You know, fully trained and ready to, ready to, to, satisfy the onslaught you know it's going to be really hard and and um i mean we've been doing it for a long time and and i've in some sense we've you know we've kind of you know we're 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 you know we're we're we've you know the 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 criticism over the year or the difficulty of running has strengthened us you know it's mm-hmm. it's steeled us and but you know the fact is, you know the especially during the summer, sometimes the the um, the demands of a customer in a small open kitchen kind of place that we have are unreasonable. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's uh, um, the customer has to wait 20, 25 minutes for a sandwich. Mm-hmm. There's no possible way we could get it out there early when there's 20 sandwiches ahead of you. Yeah. You know, um, it's like the, always blows my mind when, um, I hope no customers are listening to this thing. <laughs> um, it always blows my mind when there's the human capacity to wait to get into a restaurant or wait to order almost infinite mm-hmm. you know you it's not like there's an art place but you know people will wait for three hours for a seated via carota or something yeah. like that you know it's and and be happy to do it the moment they sit down they're operating from a different clock yeah you know and suddenly it's like why isn't my shit coming out right this second yeah and so you know the the like we always try to train the staff it's like be honest with the customer how long it's going to take when they order. Yeah. And the staff doesn't want to because they don't want the like, you know. Are you serious? That gonna be, exactly. So they'll be like, okay, it'll be up as soon as we can. And then 25 minutes later, like, oh, where's my sandwich? It's like, sorry, you know, it's not ready yet. 
Um, and it's not because we're dicking around, you know, it's just because there's a lot of sandwiches ahead of you and we can only possibly make so much. You know, the, um, the, um, so we'll tell customers, you know, we're looking at probably half an hour for the sandwich. Is that going to be okay? Mm-hmm. And some people will be like, no, you know, I can't do that. I got a movie to catch or yeah. whatever. I, 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 I used to do it all right. the time when yeah. I would come in and be like, hey, but how long is it going to take? Yeah, it's just going to take a while. But, you know, once you've ordered, it's like the time warp, you know, it's yeah. just like, I've been waiting here for, it's like, I know you've been waiting here for three minutes and 49 yeah. seconds. I have a little time now on your thing. But tell me. You know, but it's, yeah, I mean, it's going to be, tough you know it's gonna because well, we're, we're a rushy sort of place you're, you know you're, you're a rushy place and i will tell you because i just did it reopening i found uh exciting because yeah. i feel like i've done this before yeah. like i'm trained for this uh but also very challenging because it was with a whole new crew right. which you're going to be dealing with too where yeah. it's not like you have a new person you're adding on and they're the weakest right. link and you have however long to get them caught up yeah uh, you're starting fresh yeah. and people have expectations yeah. and right. people built are, up expectations, huge and built up. Expectations. So people are going to be walking into Ruby's and expecting that latte they had three years ago. Yeah. And they're going to be expecting the egg sandwich the same way they had it yeah. three years ago. And if it's varied at all from there, I mean, we did, we did like a week of training. Yeah. I mean, I paid everybody. I've never yeah pay people for training right. because well yeah, I have we're, we're about to face that you just hiring sh- a bunch of people that don't actually have a job for right now you know? and and you have to figure out a way to get them all of the information of your 18 years of experience jammed into one day two day three day yeah. and open as if you had never closed yeah. which is incredibly challenging so all I will say is Matt thank you very much for being here and such a pleasure good luck thank you and keep buying awesome things because for those that appreciate it's all I know it, how to do man appreciate it before we go, I do have one last question for Matt, uh, and uh, uh, this is sort of a, a pipe dream of mine. Um, I uh, every time I went to Ruby's, I always envisioned that parking lot as being a town square. God, <sighs> me too. Yeah, go on. <laughs> and uh, I wonder if that idea has had any uh, an attraction in the. Uh, I don't know, in the undergrounds or maybe the mainstreams. You know, and, we, and if we're going to, if, if in our lifetimes we're going to, we're going to see a, uh, a, a fountain of, uh, uh it's, it's crazy to say that like geese maybe in the center. When we, uh, I don't know about no 30 damn feet geese, up in the, but, but uh, when we open like our designer, this guy, Rich Holman, you know, Rich, Rich, yeah. and brilliant. You know, he and he he designed the store and he designed the cafe and Mooncloud. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, And he had this grand vision for town, which included that back parking lot. I don't know if there is actually a fountain there, but something (laughs) fountainy and and ringed by cafes and stores and just this vibrant, you know, keep in mind when we opened. People were getting like stabbed in the parking lot, you know, <laughs> some teacher got stabbed, a cop got beat up. It's the natural course of action. Whenever yeah. people get stabbed, it was, there's it was for nasty you sell coffee. But we imagined it, you know, just being like you said, this like town, what else do we got? This town square. Like we used to like beg, like, please put the farmer's market in the, in the parking lot back yeah. there. Just let it be. I mean, not that it's not in a, a good place now, but for a while and then it moved down to the fairgrounds. It was like, oh no, don't take it out of town, you know? Um, but we just, I mean, for self-serving reasons, but also just for the vibrance of the town, we just loved the idea of that back parking lot. But, you know, the, um, 
the you know we're not if anything we kind of inch toward that there's the the whole kind of dining area back there that yeah. you know and yeah. the and uh, um, they've been closing Railroad Street down twice a week. Closing Railroad Street down, you know, Bobby Houston's new place around oh, the it corner. Looks so good. It's so pretty. It and looks it's so like, good. And just like some vibrance back there, you know, and because it is, it's kind of the center of town. It's just this, but I mean, Parking's a thing in Great Parking Barrington. is a thing. Wait, wait, wait. wait. No. But still, uh, the, the, one of the goals of this podcast is to try to um, uh, get some of our pipe dreams yeah. to become true. Ah, so, what a good goal. So, uh, if, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah let's, let's, let's work on that. So, just the idea of putting it out there for folks to think about. Yeah. Just imagine yourself going on a Sunday with the family, going over to Ruby's, getting a cup of coffee, a sandwich, and then hopping over to sit on maybe a ledge that's just like around a nice little fountain. Mm, yeah. And then folks around, you know, are hanging out almost like a, an European town, like an Italian. Yeah, Piazza. Yeah. yeah. A horse race exactly, going around yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. I a mean, at, at that point, it, it will be a no-brainer to get like, yeah. you know, then you expand from that. You get the farmer's market to be around there. And then you look at it and you're like, okay, so what's the problem? Well, you know, it's used as a parking. <sighs> Okay, well, I think we can figure out parking yeah, elsewhere. Can you know? we? Maybe uh, we can't. Maybe we can't. But I certainly think that uh, I would rather break my brain in figuring out where to put parking in Great Barrington. Yeah, if the consequence of it was to have a nice little town in square in the center of town. Town square sounds cool. Hell yes, like no that. problem. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, nah, like, that was a dream yeah, from film, day one. Film noir playing every Friday night. Film noir playing yeah. every night. Yeah. 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 Love it. That would be fantastic. <laughs> Love it. All right. All right. Well. All right, fellas. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. Appreciate awesome. it. Awesome. Thank you for stopping by. Thank you, everybody. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Later. Peace. Peace. Awesome. Peace.